Good afternoon and welcome back to First Word Podcast. As always, your boy First Letter. Now, I've been gone for about a week and a half, just taking care of some personal matters and uh, got me some much needed rest and away from this um, platform that we're building over here. But this episode is going to be a little different because usually I talk shit about rappers and I talk shit about people that are making news in the media. But on today's episode, I wanted to just uh, discuss my thoughts and my ideas about some relevant issues that are occurring in the news as of late. Um, So I'm just going to get right into this. Now, I've been keeping up with CNN and various other news outlets And I've been doing some research more on this new smoking ban that's been put in place throughout the entire country within the public housing system. Now, when I first heard of this, I was a little bit confused because I thought this was something that was just limited to New York City and the housing uh, projects in New York State. But come to find out, this is something that's been passed and it's been made law for the entire country in uh, low-income communities and housing complexes and and, and whatnot. Now, my thoughts on this, well, before I get into this, let me just break down what this means. With this no-smoking ban, people are are no longer allowed to smoke inside of their apartments. They are not allowed to smoke inside of common areas like hallways and lobbies. They are not even allowed to smoke within 25 feet of these said public housing complexes or buildings. Now, to me, I I, I feel very offended, you know, coming from a person who has grown up in the public housing system here in New York. Uh, I've lived in the projects for 18 years when I was a younger man, uh, myself and my dad. And I really feel like this is infringing on people's uh, rights. And it's very is very intrusive in regards to, um, you know, people having their rights violated and being told what to do. I feel like if you are a tenant anywhere, it doesn't matter if it's a a, um, city-owned property, if it's a private residence or anything like that. If you're paying rent, you're paying your money for your lodging, you should be able to do certain things and you should not have restrictions. And I think smoking is a personal choice. And I feel like it's, if you can do something like smoking, if you can do it indoors, let's say if you live alone, if you're a single man or a woman and you want to smoke, that's one of your vices. You smoke cigarettes, you smoke marijuana, whatever the case, you should be able to do so in the comfort of your own home that you are paying rent for. Now, why I get upset because of this particular issue is because they are only enforcing shit like this in the lower income communities throughout this country and poor neighborhoods throughout this country. And it's a way to, for me, I feel like it's a way to have more people put into the system for petty offenses like this. Because I honestly don't know what the penalties and what like the the consequences would be if you are to be caught smoking inside of public housing since they put this ban in place. But I just feel like it's more of a way for the elites and the people who are running the show, the puppet masters uh, of this government and of the governments of every state in this country. I feel like it's a way for them to 
further keep their foot on the necks of the middle class and the and the poorer um lower lower income um peoples across this nation i don't like it at all i feel like it's disrespectful number one you know i'm not a smoker you know i've smoked cigarettes before and i've quit years ago but you know i just think about it in those terms of people that i know who who are actually smokers and who live within new york city housing and it's really shitty that you know they are enforcing stuff like this because i don't see laws like this being enforced anywhere else let's say like on central park west you know or east side of lexington avenue or anything like that it's always the people who are disenfranchised and who are at somewhat of an economic disadvantage these are the people who are always the ones who are targeted with you know these unfair tactics that are put in place by their local and national governments you know um i really feel like shit like this has to stop but unfortunately it won't stop because the local and national governments of this country are putting bans and they're putting laws like this in place to strategically target the more disenfranchised people and the peoples who make up these lower income communities and i'm speaking mainly in regard to black and hispanics but also to the other brown ethnicities that make up the rest of the minority in this country okay and it's sad because this is the same type of tactics that they used when they were waging war on on marijuana when marijuana was looked upon as this super horrific gateway drug and it was responsible for all the violence going on in the country but they can no longer use that and they can no longer push that storyline to anyone because this nation and among many nations across the world everybody's become so relaxed in terms of marijuana you even have certain countries that are embracing marijuana because they understand the earning potential and what it does to boost the economy so it's hypocritical now that something that was demonized to throw a lot of blacks and hispanics in prison now they find a way to legally make money from it and now i guess because they're happy and they're getting their cut so you know it's very it's very hypocritical to me and um you know like i said it's a lot of scary things that your government will do um when it comes to uh lining the pockets of the elites out here who are really running the show and this is going to allow me to segue into my next topic that i wanted to discuss with you guys and uh, something that i'm very proud of and i'm still continuing to do my research on it further because i'm very interested in this um so last week lebron james opened up his i promise school in ohio and this took me by surprise because i wasn't aware that lebron was making such a big move like this and this is such a positive very positive move for you know the 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 inner city community and this is a, a statement to be made for um anyone who has the level of success and the level of status and the economic power and economic strength that lebron james has this should be a message to any of you out there that you can make a difference you know it's not always about donating to a charity all the time but this shows that his level of responsibility and 
um, how should I put this? His level of responsibility and the status that he has, he knows that he is more than just a basketball player and he has more to offer the world and he has more to offer the people who came up the way that he did. And um, I applaud him for it, you know, because we don't see too much of that being spoken about within the news. Because more often than not within the media, the representation of black males in this country has never been positive and we have never seen anything to aspire to other than just athletic um, achievements and various other achievements within the entertainment industry. But now this makes me happy because it shows that we are more than that. You know, we are more than just the, the, the common stereotype or the common trope that America sees us as, you know, aside from the negative aspect. But this goes deep because LeBron had actually partnered with the public school system in Akron, uh, along with the University of Akron to put all this together. And let me just get into the details of what's included and what is being proposed by LeBron James and his team that have been working on this project for quite some time now. So what the plan is with this I Promise school, LeBron and his partners are offering free tuition, free uniforms, free breakfast, lunch, and snacks. Also, free transportation within two miles of the school a free bicycle and helmet to, I guess, to each student. Also granting access to a food pantry for their families and guaranteed tuition for all graduates of the school to the University of Akron. Now, these are some really, 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 really heavy perks. And I pray that everything goes well and that they are able to follow through with this without there being any type of hiccups or any type of, uh, you know, any type of negative occurrences, because, you know, I, this is something that's needed more than anything else within our communities. And when I say our communities, I mean the communities that aren't necessarily given the opportunities as more well-off communities and different economic um, circumstances, okay? And like everything that we do, and I say we, like everything that we do as black males and as a people, when it's something that's being done in a positive manner, when you're conducting yourself in a super professional manner, there always has to be some type of way you get, you know, someone tries to pull you down and this someone that i'm referring to is none other none other excuse me than donald fucking trump so you know to take the spotlight away from lebron you know donald trump immediately went on the attack and i believe it was in regards to an interview that lebron did with don lemon from cnn and i have a lot of respect to don lemon from cnn because he's a very educated brother he's very self-aware even though he works for um he works for mass media he works for a controlled media platform he is still very self-aware and he doesn't you know he doesn't shy away from letting you know that when he has to so trump tweeted out something in regards to don lemon being an idiot 
and how he makes LeBron look smart, which is difficult to do. And, you know, it's typical. It's very typical fashion of Donald Trump to put his foot in his mouth once again. But he didn't realize the effect that his tweet would have um, later on. And in, in, in particular over this weekend, um, because his wife, Melania Trump, actually went on and she is siding with LeBron James. And that surprised me because she said that she would actually want to venture out and visit LeBron's school that uh, just recently opened. So, you know, it, it just goes to further show you guys that evil and no weapons that are formed on this earth are ever going to prosper against good and the kind actions of righteous people. So, you know, I salute to LeBron James, you know, as always, he's doing some things, you know, off the court. And, and I feel like a lot of what's happening now in, in this stage in his career you know, he's really looking into the world beyond the NBA because he knows that, again, he has more of a responsibility, not only to himself, but he has a responsibility to the community that he comes from. And he has a responsibility to his people, because what would all the fame, what would all the status, what would all the celebrity mean if you couldn't do something powerful if you couldn't share or give back something or inspire people what would it mean you know so i i salute lebron you know wholeheartedly you know not just me being a fan of what he does on the basketball court but how he's maturing now and in this late stage of his career so you know i'm going to keep you guys posted with more on this you know because i'm doing more research as the days go on so I can get more information because I'm very interested in seeing where this goes. And I wish LeBron and I wish his team nothing but this, you know, utmost success. And I want everything, everything, excuse me, to work out very well for him and his people. So best of luck, LeBron. Now, also jumping into this discussion about elites and puppet masters within this country I don't know how many of you caught this Leo Cohen Breakfast Club interview this past week, but I found it to be very interesting and informative at the same time. And I don't know if I ever divulged this information to any of you, but some years ago when I was a younger man in my late teens and early 20s, when I had a management situation going on, Leo Cohen was someone whose name was being brought up almost on a daily basis when Def Jam was running that whole powerhouse power plant that they had back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Now, he was always spoken about and he was always spoken of as being someone who can make you or potentially break you depending on what type of relationship you want to establish with him. And I took a lot of positives and I, and, I, and I got a lot of gems and also got some negatives out of this Breakfast Club interview because I wanted to get a, you know, I wanted to get more of an education as to who this man actually is. And something interesting that I've always had in the back of my mind, most deaf, 
And I believe his name that he's going by now is like Usain Bay or something like that. But most deaf is what I always know him as and is what I always refer to him as. You know, one of the dopest artists, dopest lyricists that I've ever heard. And and altogether, you know, just down to earth brother, really solid dude. He has referred to Lear Cohen um, not by name and lyrics, but he's always referred to him as the tall Israeli who is running the hip hop industry or running the music industry in that regard. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Lior Cohen, Lior Cohen was the VP of Def Jam, you know, for I believe it was a period of time in the late 80s up until. I would say as late as 2005 or 2007, whatever year it was when L.A. Reid and Jay-Z were running the show. And I think that's around the time where Lior was on his way out. And um, he's also currently the head of YouTube music. And, you know, some say that he is responsible for the breakup and the fall of Rockefeller Records and the whole sp- the whole parting of ways between Jay-Z and Dame Dash. But it's very interesting, a lot of what was said in this Breakfast Club interview, because, you know, Dame Dash is someone who speaks very, very, very uh, to low regard when it comes to Leo Cohen. He doesn't like him. He's expressed it numerous times, even going as far as to call Leo Cohen a culture vulture. Now, I can understand because they've had quite the, you know, tumultuous relationship in the past. But, you know, this is a guy who has been working with Russell Simmons, who's worked with Rick Rubin and who's developed artists like LL Cool J, the Beastie Boys, Run DMC. You understand at the early stages of their careers, like he didn't come around when LL Cool J popped off. He didn't come around when the Beastie Boys were on fire. He didn't come around when Run DMC was killing shit out here. He was there from the start. So it's kind of hard for me to really speak to the whole culture vulture um, scenario and that situation in regards to Dame Dash, because I don't know what goes on, you know, you know, behind the scenes and the actions that were taking place between them, the the shady business practices or whatever. I don't know about that, so I can't speak to that issue. But um I got some insight from some of the things that he was saying, you know, and for those of you who want to or are aspiring to be artists out here, you know, Lear Cohen is a guy I will say that I have to respect his mind and how innovative and how creative he's trying to be with YouTube music because he kind of brought up a valid point with only Apple and Spotify being the main distributors of where you can um, absorb music, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. It's to the point where Spotify and Apple both have monopolies on how you get your content. And I know for myself personally, I love to go on YouTube and get what I need because I might not have the time. And, you know, Apple is not always it's not something that's always been accessible to me, you know, only as of late because of this show. You know, I'm very Apple heavy now. 
and uh, I'm very new to Spotify and their whole platform. But YouTube is always something that I've been comfortable with because you get a multitude of content, not only music, but you get visuals as well to follow up with your favorite artists and your favorite acts. So, you know, something that he's proposing to do with YouTube music is actually have them be like a major distributor of music now. And I think it's a genius idea for myself because I'm not totally out of music because I still produce records. But let's just say if I found an artist or I stumbled across an artist and I discovered them, I love the fact now that we're in this day and age that I can record my artists. I could have recorded my artists, excuse me, last night and I can take a very well polished version of whatever record I want or the entire project, have it mixed down super tight and just debut the project, the EP or the album, whatever I want to do and just debut it through YouTube music. And I think it's awesome. It, it, it gives artists the alternative now to um, be seen in a market where artists weren't being able to be seen because you're overshadowed by so many other big names because the Apple, the Google market, the Spotify, and even Amazon, they push the bigger acts. Even though they have the smaller acts and the more independent guys on there, they are more so leaning towards the bigger acts because that's going to assure that they get that ad revenue and that's going to bring them the streams and that's going to bring them their own personal revenue. So I get it. You know, so I have to side with Leo Cohen on that one because as a business move and his business model is very unique and, and I respect it. You know, I'm always down for dealing with new ideas and especially when it comes to artists getting their their voice heard and, and you know, actually having a voice. But um, one thing that stood out to me in particular also with this interview is when Charlemagne asked him about the breakup of Dame Dash and Jay-Z. Now, Lior Cohen went as far as to even denounce having any knowledge of Dame Dash or ever even knowing who this guy is. You know, I mean, because he doesn't want to give him the free pub. I get it. No, no free uh, promo, no free publicity. I get all of that. But um, something that he said that was very interesting, and it's true. He says somewhere down the lines of you got to think about it like this if jay-z and dame dash were really friends or they were really as tight as they wanted everyone to believe then it shouldn't had been me or anyone come along and break up that bond and break up that union that was so strong within rockefeller at that time and you know that makes sense that makes complete and total sense because I've always felt that Jay-Z and Dame's fallout and the fall of Rockefeller was a result of mixing business with friendships and just two people growing apart. You know, I don't think it had anything to do with someone being in Jay-Z's ear and maybe trying to influence him to break away from his business partner. I don't think that had anything to do with it. You know, my take on that has always been that Jay probably just wanted to expand himself and he wanted to do things beyond what was going on with Rockefeller and just being an artist and just being in that same system. You know, he wanted more for himself. 
And I guess maybe he saw it and he had that vision and Dame Dash might not have had it and just wanted to just act on his personal bias against Leo Cohen and just didn't like the fact that Jay may have sided with him or something like that. But I don't know. Again, I can't speak on that. Now, a lot of you may not have this knowledge, but Leo Cohen is also the head of 300 Entertainment. Now, when you think of 300 Entertainment, you got to think of Young Thug, you got to think of Rich the Kid and the Migos. He's responsible for these acts as well. So the man has a knack for talent. Whether you want to say that he has a knack for exploiting the talent, that's another story within itself. But again, I have to respect his mind and I have to respect how creative he is because he does seem like he cares. And I'll say that he seems like he genuinely cares about hip hop because he's been around for so long. It's not like he's one of these execs that has just popped up out of the blue at random you know, and decided that he's going to make money off of these African-American acts. You know, it seemed like he's been around for a while and he cares about what he's doing and he's very passionate about it. That's what I, I got from it. You know, I have yet to meet Leroy Cohen and I hope one of these days, you know, I'm, I'm granted that opportunity so I can sit down and pick his brain and get, you know, my own perspective uh, as opposed to getting the opinions of people who don't like him or they don't like what he stands for. Okay, so moving off of that topic and moving on to something that I know is a little old, but I have to speak on this because it's new to me, um, and that's power. Yeah, so last week's episode in season five, which was episode five, Kendrick Lamar made his acting debut and... He played a character named Laces, and Laces is a homeless, uh, how should I put it? He's like a homeless philosopher-type genius-type character who actually becomes Kanan's sidekick. Now, it was very interesting, the writing. It was very clever because, you know, the common trope and the common stereotype with someone playing in character like this and playing someone who's a vagrant and playing someone who's homeless, he had the look down pack. The image was spot on. It was on point. His hair was all disheveled and everything. Uh, they did some makeup with his face and his teeth. But I had to really listen to the dialogue that was written for him. Kendrick was throwing some gems in there. And I don't know if any of you paid attention to what he was doing. And it might have flew over a lot of you guys' heads because, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't check for um, anything be below the surface like I do. I try to analyze everything that I watch, everything that I listen to, because there are meanings out here in everything. Um, but I have to give praise and I got to shout out Kendrick for dropping the, the knowledge and dropping the science on people where he's letting blacks and he's letting Hispanics know that we are all one in the same. We are from the same African um we are from the same African um ancestry. I don't know why it took so long to get that out. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit hungry, so bear with me guys. Um but I like the fact that he was dropping a lot of knowledge and even dropped some knowledge on Kanan uh fifty cents character which fucked his head up because at one particular point I thought that Kanan was going to 
take out laces because he's been involved with these random hits on these uh, rivals. But laces to save himself, he put a lot of things in perspective from just having only known Kanan's character for a few scenes. And I thought it was genius writing, man. So I got to shout out Courtney Kemp and I got to shout out 50 Cent and everybody down there who's working on power, man. You guys did a really, really smart move. And it was genius of you guys to include Kendrick Lamar and have him uh, cameo on that episode. You know, you can say what you want about 50. You can say what you want about him and his practices and how he trolls people. But the man knows how to keep an audience captivated. He knows how to keep people interested in what he's doing. So I just wanted to bring that up. And I'm about to get out of here. And this is going to be the wrap up portion of my show. Yeah, I just said portion. But um, like I said, I'm a little hungry and um, I'm going to get out of here soon. I wanted to do a really in-depth review of Travis Scott's uh, Astral World album. But I'm not going to do that because I took a listen to the album this weekend and I can't say much about it. Um, I'm not going to badmouth it because I don't believe in tearing people's work and I don't believe into tearing down people's artistry. But I'll just say that it wasn't for me, although I was anticipating this album along with the rest of his fans. I really felt like Astral World was a project that he was doing in the midst of everything that he had maybe sidetracking him and distracting him because I don't feel like the records were strong. And I don't feel like anything stood out for me in particular. You know, there's 17 records and I struggled getting through the first five. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was in a car ride uh, going from Pennsylvania back to New York and I had Astro World playing and it was a struggle for me to get through it. You know, I don't have anything negative to say about Travis Scott. Travis Scott is one of the dopest artist. I can't call him a rapper because he's more than that. He's an artist. He can produce his ass off. He can songwrite his ass off. And when he's ready, he can rap his ass off as well. And I just feel like this particular project with everything that's been going on in his personal life with him, you know, being a new father, you know, with Kylie Jenner, I think that he was a bit distracted on this record and might not have been able to put his all or his best foot forward. That's just my personal opinion, though. So don't take it from me. And I'm not trying to say it to you guys to discourage you from listening to it, streaming the album or buying it. If you are a fan of his, continue to support him. But um, this is just my opinion. But I am going to leave this episode with a song that I do like on this album. OK, so I'm going to take that positive away from this uh, from this uh so-called little review that I'm uh, giving about the album. So, as always, I thank you guys for tuning in. This is your boy, First Letter. As always, First Word Podcast. I'm out.